Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Draper Gorenholm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. Hey everyone, it is me. We are here. Uh, we Joseph is here too. Say hi, Joseph. Hey, what's up? Boom, boom, boom. We're recording. Good morning, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. I am recording this on the computer now. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Boom. All right. It says it's recording. Boom. 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 I am apparently recording. The entire bottle control. They're all exactly the same. Crypto art. And then what it really is, is an NFT. Wow. How do you want to slap the bag? So this is the next best thing. DeFi is going to be a bubble. It's provably scarce. With Mad Dog. Crypto, gold, and silver. Transparent substance. Take my money, start a war with it. Without further ado. Cheers to you, brother. Get shit done. Because the system has to collapse before that. Cheers, I feel much better now. Cheers. (laughs) Wow, that was heavy. Yeah. Hey. (laughs) No alarm tonight, but we're kicking it off. Yeah. Do we start? Are we live now? Is this it? Do we say boom? Boom. Boom. We're live. We're ready to go. So I guess the first thing we do is everyone, uh, I guess, lift lift the glass and you can never cheers enough, right? All right. It's well, up. it's so great to be here and for an episode of blockchain and booze. And we've got Andrew Dix, crowdfund insider, Kyle Somlin of the security token market, and this is going to be a great discussion. So I think we're going to jump into we're going to talk a little bit about security tokens, the regulated space, the unregulated space. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be an interesting time to even talk a little bit about DeFi, decentralized finance versus CFI, centralized finance. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of news going on too. So, I mean, maybe, you know, see how that kind of impacts the discussion. So, um, maybe you guys want to kick it off and first do intros. Maybe we'll start out that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so thank you, Dar. My name is Andrew Dix, and I'm the founder of the Crowded Media Group, and we're the publisher of Crowdfund Insider. And we cover the full stack of fintech that includes online capital formation, i.e., securities crowdfunding, as well as blockchain and other aspects of innovation and financial services. And if you don't know, I am sitting in the distillery called Buffalo Trace, at least virtually, and I am drinking bourbon right now so kyle what are you drinking (laughs) well while you're in the metaverse i'm here in miami florida which is i think the closest physical location you can get to the metaverse these days and i have uh some nice hibiki japanese whiskey that i'm also going to be sipping on so that'll be pretty fun i am the ceo of security token market so if you don't know stomarket.com we track over 200 live trading security token offerings. That's digital assets, real world investments that have a, a token that represents that investment. And they're trading live internationally. Some are here in the US, some are international, some are both. 
and uh, about $4 billion in market cap now. We also have a ton of media properties as well. You may have seen the security token show, spilling the NFT, open tab, and we've got a whole lot of other great content, the What's Dripping newsletter and many other great things. So we, we do pretty much everything security tokens and have been doing that for the last four years or so. Excellent. And I'm Dara Albright and I've been an advocate for the space for a long time. I currently am the host of the D Wealth News podcast, where we sort of bridge that uh, knowledge gap between traditional finance and for modern finance, this whole new digital decentralized world. Um, we're doing some cool things in the educational space as well. And uh, excited to be here, excited to um, to do this. My drink tonight is white wine. Uh, I know I'm boring, <laughs> but just a glass of Sauvignon Blanc is probably all I can handle. I, I once drank too much in the metaverse, drank virtual <laughs> wine, got very sick, so can't have that happen again. So, <laughs> um, But maybe we kick it off with, with starting to talk. Maybe we start with what exactly is a security token and why everyone listening and watching should be aware of it. Sure. I'm, I'm happy to kick that one off. Yeah, go for it. Uh, great. So when we're talking about a security token, as I mentioned, really, it's a, a digital investment, like what people are used to cryptocurrencies and some of these things. And the cool thing about any tokenized you know, asset is that you have this opportunity to send it to someone else very quickly, very cost effectively. And you can program a lot of great things into it by leveraging smart contracts. So we take all of those great ideas behind just traditional tokens or cryptocurrencies or any of these traditional blockchain assets we've seen in the past, and then apply the legal and compliance wrapper around it that is required for any real investment. So when you're investing in equities, when you're, you know, stocks, when you're investing in real estate, when you're investing in debt, there are standards that you need to meet in terms of what kind of person are you? Where's the money coming from? And how can you behave as an investor and how that asset can behave? And so those pieces we can build into that smart contract and create a digital asset that does in fact represent a you know a real legal investment into a real world asset. And so that's, I think, the best way I would describe a security token right off the rip. Andrew, you have anything else to add there? You know, I, I think you, you uh, pretty much nailed it. I do want to give one quick shout out to, to Dara because she has been here from the beginning and she's really a foundational participant in the whole you know, innovation and financial services. So, you know, I think we're really kind of lucky to have you here, Dara, because oh, thank you, 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 uh, you, you really have, you have seen it all. And so uh, um, you have a, a wealth of knowledge and experience in you. That being said, Kyle, yeah, you, you, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. A, a security token is pretty much a digital security there's some nuance there, in my opinion, uh, and I think part of the nuance comes from our blessed regulators who struggle to define what a digital asset is, and um, I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, I think there's some some also some nuance. You look at at what we saw happened, I think, with there's the ICO era, right? Where cryptocurrencies initially launched and they tried to raise money to build things in the future, which looks a whole lot like if you were to crowdfund for equity. And a lot of those were illegal. A lot of them faced legal action for it. So what you saw was some cryptocurrencies tried to be compliant where they would follow securities laws, which means that they were technically allowed to raise that money, but they weren't actually attaching any real world asset behind that token. 
And so I also draw a distinction between a compliant cryptocurrency and a security token, just because it follows the laws. If it doesn't actually represent an underlying asset, I really don't view that as, as something that, that we would see as a, as a real world asset that's been tokenized. And then you also see on the other side, exchanges in the crypto space like FTX have begun trading what are we consider tokenized stocks, which are really derivatives contracts that are essentially moving similarly to public market versions. So they have a, a Tesla tokenized stock, but you as an investor don't actually own the underlying share of Tesla. You're just being exposed economically to something that should in theory move at a similar pace. So there is, there is definitely some nuance. We can dive into that later as well. Um, but for, for the, the, the one liner, it's really just any real world asset that you can invest in. And uh, that's been tokenized on chain. I have to and say the ICO, you know, uh, party was was wild while it lasted. It was uh, yeah. <laughs> it was it was kind of crazy if if you were there and, and, and watching it from the outside. It kind of sucked if you were on the inside uh, and you got tagged by the enforcement division of the Securities and Exchange Commission. But I think what we're talking about today is something very very different. Uh, it's it's my opinion that eventually all securities will be digital and we're going through a period of growing pains as to how it manifests itself. Also, it's not just a, a domestic question. It's a global issue. It just so happens that the United States is the largest uh, securities markets in the world. Um, but the same and similar discussions are taking place around the world in different jurisdictions are at different places in, in the process. And, um, you know, uh, Kyle, Dara, so this is, I'm going to ask you guys a question because I'm curious about this. Do you have any idea where you would stack the United States in comparison to, say, you know, Singh or, or, or France, maybe, or Lux, Luxembourg? Do you guys have any, have any thoughts on that, either one of you? Well, I mean, from the from a regulated perspective, yeah. or well, I mean, I think we're pretty far behind, just in terms of the rest of the globe. Um, not all countries, obviously, but I mean, I think that we still haven't even decided what is a security and what you know what what constitutes a security and what doesn't. So we're not even you know at step one, really. Um, I think the issue, you know, you know, you mentioned the ICO craze, the ICO craze was great. And what made it great was the opportunity for individuals to actually participate in finance, participate in, in you know, the markets in a really meaningful way. And, um, you know, that's what this is really all about is creating an opportunity for investors to do it under the you know a regulatory framework we don't want it to be the wild wild west obviously so we do need to have um you know some sort of regulatory framework around it but we still it makes want for to make better it, stories though but anyway yeah right, right. It, it's true but we still want to make it so that in that investors have you know all investors no matter if you have five dollars in, in you know your pocket or you know if you're a multi-millionaire everyone should have access to the same type of investment opportunities. And that's why I would actually have a question to you, Kyle, are you seeing, you know, when you're talking about now putting this regulatory wrapper, um, you know, on, on these token yeah. offerings or these different types of products, what 
type of uh, regulations are you seeing that are most being used? Is it is it a Reg D, which you have to be an accredited investor to participate in? Is it a Reg A, so we're trying to bring that to the masses? Uh, is it a Reg CF, bring hold the whole crowdfunding into the mix? What, what are you saying? There's there's a lot of really interesting nuance, and and I think that by far and away, Reg D 506C has been the, the most adopted exemption, right? For anybody listening, that means that they can raise as much money as they as they want. There's no cap on how much you can raise. But as you mentioned, Dara, it is a, an accredited only investment from the primary offering side, which can offer some level of difficulty or friction added to, to the deal, which is why you can actually do a reg CF, which allows for anyone to invest up to $5 million is the cap there. You can do them concurrently. So you can actually do a CF and a reg D at the same time to be able to accept accredited through one and a CF through another. But, you, you know, I think that the other interesting thing we've seen is that while reg D has been the most adopted on the primary side in terms of the initial fundraise, you look at issuers like Curzio Research, who was able to raise $4 million from a Reg D 506C from his you know, investor base, and then was able to leverage the Rule 144 exemption on secondary listing to actually trade to retail investors. So there is actually some development that's happening on the secondary market. We've seen this with now T0 is doing this. INX has adopted this. Securitized Markets is also adopting this regulation. So it's, it's something that is a scalable model where... While potentially the retail investors may not get initial access during the primary offering through a 506C, they have been able to get significant earlier opportunities to invest in deals through the secondary market in a compliant fashion. So I think this idea of accredited only, which is where the security token industry really began, and that's where a lot of the initial stigma came behind this industry is that it was, it was exclusive to only accredited investors, is something that's, that's quickly fading. You look at the, the Reg CF exemption, something that in 2018, 2017 was really not incredibly viable due to the fact you could only raise $1.07 million. And let's right. be honest, for any company that's looking to raise any significant amount of growth capital, $1 million doesn't even move the needle. So that was just not an effective exemption to really get, allow any companies to get significant financing aside from very early stage business, which is great and a great start. But I think that that the, the regulators understood that there was an opportunity here to create more access and growing that that pie from only allowing one million per year through a reg CF to five million per year in a CF has been a tremendous opportunity to, to make it more inclusive for other issuers. Then you layer on the tokenization technology and the developments in the space that allow for secondary market transactions. And I think that that's really going to unlock the potential of the Reg CF exemption due to the fact that retail investors don't want to hold their asset for 10 years and then hope for liquidation in the future. They want to be able to trade. They need the ability to trade. And it's something that wasn't possible before this advent of the technology and something that I think we're really going to see significant adoption of and, and something we, we actually are exploring ourselves through security token market. And we're currently in the testing the waters campaign there and have seen an incredible reception, which is exciting. Fascinating. Now, I, you guys are probably following this and have seen, you know, speaking of accredited and non-accredited and access, um, the, the SEC is now seeking comments uh, on actually raising the accredited investor threshold from, you know, it making 10 times more where your net worth used to be, you know, 
a million dollars. Now it's going up to $10 million. Um, so they're actually going to a lot. There are going to be a lot less people that are going to have the ability to then participate. Um, what, are, what are your guys' thoughts there? Have you started, have you written any comments? Are you, you know, are you, are you guys following it? You know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I can I jump will. in on that. Go for um, it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, not too long ago, the uh, SEC Small Business Capital Formation Advisory Committee ha held a meeting and it was, it was largely on the, the discussion of a definition of an accredited investor. And the consensus of the committee members was, is that, you know, first of all, it, you don't break something that that's working well, but also they're going to make a, a statement that the SEC needs to look at being more inclusive and broadening the market and an opening up to, to a, a, a wider portion of the population because effectively what the credit investor definition does is it creates a very exclusive exclusive segment of the market that can participate in these private securities reg d typically and and so you cut out most of the country and so what happens here is it exacerbates the, the wealth gap uh because the the people that already have money have access to these the people that do not do don't have any access to these and it takes no, no, no consideration of somebody's sophistication their knowledge their experience which is a far better metric to right. uh, the ability to to uh, uh, determine risk and it's all about risk the problem is is the SEC is very political right now and there's a lot of uh, 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 political posturing in the background and they want to push the limit uh, higher. They want to make that threshold more difficult for people to qualify. And and there's a couple dynamics, you know, moving there right now, uh, which are I find concerning. Um, first of all, it's the person that Gary Gensler hired as his investor protection advisor, who has always been uh, uh, vehemently against private securities and access to a broader market in general. And second of all, clearly they're going to ignore what this committee advises them to do. And this is their top agenda item from the Gensler wow. uh, Security Exchange Commission. From its commission, this is the number one item. They, they announced it last year in the uh, spring, and they reiterated it in the fall. So they want to do something. It's going to come down to the political pressure and what – more level heads can do to to put pressure on the commission to not go crazy, raise it to five million, raise it to ten million in net worth, or or jump that salary qualification from two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand. Because you know, really, who it hurts is the people who have the knowledge exactly. of securities, and it doesn't really do any good. And so I think this is this is a concerning thing for me. I think it's, it's I find it very concerning. Sure, you can use CF. Sure, you can access A plus. But Reg D is an enormous market. It's a, over a trillion dollar market right. annually. It's far larger than the IPO market. We need to be figuring out how ways to get more people access to this vitally uh, robust market. That's the bottom line. I will add that that they definitely read feedback that is submitted in, in these reports. When, when they actually were soliciting feedback for the private securities fundraising exemptions back in 2019, 
And we were actually able to get a, a list of, of 35 or 50 people to co-sign. Me and my co-founder, Herwig Koning, specifically was cited in the increase from one to five million for the Reg CF fundraising because of the, the feedback that we gave to the market. So they do pay attention. So if you feel that way, I mean, definitely making that clear, they, they read and consider these things. And I, I totally agree. I think that, that increasing access to these, these offerings is huge, but potentially things like rule 144 that we mentioned where you can create more liquid secondary markets that allow for more investors to get access to these things by leveraging some of these crowdfunding exemptions, or as Dara mentioned, to, to just essentially seeing how international opportunities are going to exist and continue to flourish and flourish is, is really going to be an interesting angle to consider is, is the fact that this is definitely a move that you'd think is going to push considerable more capital into investing in international exemptions and other opportunities abroad. Yeah, uh, I'd like, like to add one thing. So you're absolutely right. They do read this. The staff does does read the they do read the comment letters. That's key. But it was a transition from the Clayton Commission to the Gensler Commission. And the right. and Clayton, uh, while when he started, it was deer in the headlights. Uh, but he did understand capital formation and access to capital. Gensler is he's a different guy. He he is a product of the Beltway. He's he's been there before. He understands how things worked, and he's going to play the game. And he's going to read these comments. He's not going to read these comments. The staff is going to read the comments, and he's going to do what he wants to do, basically. Well, you know, I, I did write a comment letter in 2020 when they were seeking comments on this very issue. So they obviously they didn't read it. I may just photocopy it and resend it because that's the same thing. But it felt like we were going in the right direction back then where we were going towards, as you said, Andrew, more of a knowledge base. And that's, you know, I, I think we need to be headed in that direction. That's the that's the. I think the real true democratic direction to go in. I don't think that it's fair or just to be discriminating against uh, investment opportunity just based on your net worth. You know, yeah, it, 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 does, it doesn't make any sense because right. somebody making $400,000 in New York, you know, what does that compare to in, in flyover where I right. live? Like a fraction of that. So there's these geographic disparities plus. A young attorney, young securities attorney, he would know far more than, say, my parents would, who may qualify, but right. God forbid they would, they would participate in a private securities offering. They get fleeced, right? You want people that understand this stuff, participating in this stuff. It's my personal opinion that there should be a sophistication qualification, and that's it. Just toss out the, uh, the wealth uh, metric. So, Andrew, you asked a question before and you said, you know, where is the United States? Where do we, we fit in with the rest of the world and, and where we are? And I'd be curious to ask you guys how you see it in that does even the existing regulatory infrastructure that we have here, you know, the the IPO process, the, you know, the S1 IPO process and, and then the exemptions, Reg D and, and Reg CF, Reg A+, does that fit for tokenized assets or, or you know, for this, this kind of this new world digital assets or 
do we have to change it up altogether? What, what are your thoughts there? We're not going to change it up altogether. I mean, like, the, like whether or not it would make sense to do that, I don't see that as being something that's realistically feasible in the short term. So I, I think that, that this process does work to some degree. We'll see if, if accredited investor you know, regulations change. If some of these things change, certainly then it's up in the air around how that will affect the capital markets. But the thing that I like about working in the security space, specifically security tokens, is that, that the securities laws are pretty clear. Like I, I find that that my hot take is that I don't actually find that, that, that in a lot of cases, most issuers that complain about the lack of clarity with securities laws just don't agree with them or don't want to, to work within the bounds of the law. But but for many of the issuers that we work with, we, we haven't found significant issues in terms of, of some of these current regulations with, with how the, the assets get raised. The problem is that just at this point, being a security token or being a tech company or working in blockchain isn't enough anymore to drive demand for an investment. So if you don't have a high quality, high quality assets raise plenty of money. The markets have plenty of capital right now. Cash is cheap. So high quality assets are able to, to drive investment and drive capital into their ecosystems. And so you know, we saw the, the IPO process or the, the public registration process work for INX. They raised $85 million through their, their foreign public offering onto the, with US investors. We saw how Exodus was able to raise 75 million through a Reggae Plus. So it wasn't a public offering, but Reggae Plus is, is definitely much closer than any other private securities exemption in getting there. The demand is there and the regulation is there to make it happen. Boston Security Token Exchange just got approved for a national exchange license. This is the first national exchange license that I've seen approved in years. I can't recall a new N1 being approved within the last five years since I've been focused on the, the, the securities industry. So we see ATSs are opening left and right. I remember, and Andrew can, I'm sure can, can vouch for this as well. There was a... a there was a period of years where not a single ATS license was being approved That's in the correct. United States. There was not a single opportunity for new marketplaces to come live. Even broker-dealer licenses were, were becoming difficult to get to the point where everyone was just acquiring. Look at how Coinbase acquired the Keystone ATS a few years ago, which they now shut down. But the ATSs are being approved at a remarkable rate. You're seeing exchanges being approved at, for the first time ever, not ever, but for the first time in quite some time here in the United States. So I, I do see that there is quite a bit of innovation happening, and I, I don't want to necessarily focus on all the negatives because there's a ton of positives that are coming out of the, the largest financial system in the world. Like There's a reason why this like. I don't see the, the U.S. market necessarily being behind many of the other ones solely because of the fact that it's so much more robust than any other economic system in the entire world. That, of course, they have to move faster. Of course, they have to be leaner because they have much less to risk. They're not the global reserve currency. They're not the anchor of the every other global financial market. And they won't crash the rest of the economy of the world with, with a misplaced you know, situation that we have to be conscious of. 2008 ruined the entire global economy, that there's a lot of pressure on U.S. regulators to try to maintain what we have going because everyone else kind of banks on it, literally and figuratively. Yeah, yeah I'd like, to, I'd like, to, I'd like to comment on that because I, because I agree with a lot of what you said. I think for digital securities, there's a clear path and, and what you're doing, Kyle, is spot on. I mean, this is, this is the future. This is where we're going. Where the regulators are struggle is with these these digital assets that are kind of like securities plus. They have some utilities. They have some additional characteristics. 
And then you, you know, you slap on some DeFi and then they really get scared. They're like, oh my God, what do we do? You know, it's the, my hair's on fire. Um, that creates some, some challenges. I think that um, your, your comments on the ATS, absolutely correct. There was a, there was a, a dam for those happening here for, for years. It, we were begging, it, begging and begging and begging. You know. Yeah. Um, but 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 there's also some challenges there. So the 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 BSTX, the Boston Stock Exchange, that partnership with T Zero, totally right. That is a very important move. Um, and my thoughts are that could be the pathway going forward because about the same time the SEC you know issued guidance for for rulemaking on amendments to to the Exchange Act regarding ATSs and. And the language, they don't say digital securities, they don't say tokenization, but the language leads you to believe that they want to target other digital assets. And, and, and that could impact the entire industry. It's an unknown. There's comment letters out there. I know people that are a little bit worried about where they want to go with this because, you know, who knows? It's, it's political. Um, but But it really... It really depends on the way policymakers want to take it beyond digital securities. Now, around the world, it's it's kind of jumping around in, in, in you know in bits and starts. Uh, you know, Societe Generale just floated some bonds on the Luxembourg Exchange. Luxembourg has has seen this as an opportunity for them. That's awesome. I think that that uh, all the crypto exchanges in the United, most of the crypto exchanges in the United States, they want to pursue digital securities. That path is probably not immediately clear. While the SEC says, come in and talk to us. We want to hear what you're doing. If you look at the experience of BlockFi, I mean, I don't think that helped them out at all, right? And and, and they were talking to them. I mean, come well, on. I mean, they settled with no guilt. So it I, depends I mean, on how you think about it. They're they a multi-billion dollar company. It was kind of weird. I mean, that's pennies. They like for pennies them. to them. Like, yeah. Billions of dollars. Like, I would say it worked out okay for them. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and now they can't offer that offering in the United States. They can offer it outside the United States but, because but they couldn't ever do. They shouldn't have. Like, I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, but I, but I, but I think that the, the 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 regulatory approach has been a challenge in the United States. And, but Kyle, you're right that the the size of the markets, if if we're behind in any way, we can always make that up because everybody wants access to the capital markets in the United States. Because it's so big, rule of law actually exists, which doesn't always exist in other countries, as we know. And that's of key importance for people seeking access to capital and seeking to regulated securities and other things. That's why I try to give them the benefit of the doubt, because, you know, when you look at what Gensler has said publicly and and, you know, whether whatever he he thinks or feels behind closed doors, I, I don't want to speculate on. But I often find I will. that. Based off of the based off the public comments that that he said, a lot of the target around the cryptocurrency and the, the blockchain space has been around these assets aren't following securities laws. And it seems pretty simple to me that like these projects have raised millions and tens of millions of dollars to build a future platform and, and drive value to the investors. I mean, that that's what I would much rather personally and I can only speak for myself, but I would much rather 
buy a share of the Ethereum foundation than buy a share, you know, one equal amount of the Ethereum cryptocurrency. Like, of course, I use ETH all the time for buying NFTs and metaverse applications and, and paying for gas. But I think that most people would likely agree that if they could buy shares of these companies as opposed to buying into the cryptocurrencies, they likely would. And so if I was in the SEC, it also would be something interesting to look at. Like, okay, this is a fundraising mechanism. We have rules for this. We've clearly defined how to leverage rule 506C, Reg D. We have CF, we have A+, we have Reg S. Like there are ways to raise money compliantly. Yeah. And if you have an exciting asset, if you're a, a hot tech company that's got a great network and, and an awesome product and great developers, then raise money the way that every other company has and give investors the protections that they deserve. As yeah, opposed I, to- I, I think you're right, Kyle, except not. one thing Andrew said that was interesting too, was that you know there, it's not only equity, a lot of these have this utility component to it, which is, um, you know, and that brings up an interesting point because if you look at, you know, we do have an infrastructure for that too. We have, um, you know, rewards programs when you travel. You know, and and so it's interesting to see how that will all come into effect. They don't, you know, there are there even, you know, not only securities laws, but even tax laws for, right. for all of these products. Um, so it's going to be really, really interesting. And I think, Andrew, you brought up another point before you said, I think everything is going to be digital ultimately. Yes. And we are seeing this whole new world of NFTs unfolding. And people right now, that's the new wild, wild west, right? Everybody's out there and there's no, there's no regulatory wraparound NFTs. The new shiny, right? Yeah. Right. I, I'd be curious to get your guys insight on that. I mean, do you, how do you see that? Do, do you, uh, uh, are ultimately NFTs going to be like the next ICO, you know, the, the, the previous wow. ICO? And Yeah. You're, you're reading my mind. Right. <laughs> you're, you're psychic here. I mean, that's, that's part of the chatter right now. Um, because, you know, securities regulators, they don't always work quickly, but they're very methodical. And, and once they've, they've, you know, found a target, they're relentless. And it's, you know, they're, they're, it's the Borg. I mean, they just, they destroy you. Um, I think that there's a risk there because obviously there's the, you know, the manner of sale, right? And facts and circumstances. And they always revert back to, you know, Howie and, and, and whether you like it or don't. Uh, and and I think that some of these platforms, you know, are, are certainly getting scrutiny right now. And whether they do anything or not, uh, the chatter is, is that they, they, they will do something. And um, and that that uh, amendment to the Exchange Act that I mentioned before could be part of that. Uh, because they obviously want to pull everything into a, uh, a regulatory remit. Um, and and I, look, I think everything should be regulated. It's just how you do it and, right. and how heavy handed you are. Because proper and appropriate regulation uh, creates a good industry because it gives people a, a, a peace of mind that, that they're not just you know, buying the Brooklyn Bridge, right? Um, but you can be too heavy handed. And we've seen that happen before in the past as well. So, so um, it, our, our NFTs, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the ICOs 2.0 or the IEOs 3.0, they could be, depends on how you're selling it and how, how you're trading it. If you're selling it as something that you can, 
you know, trade and, and make a lot of money starts to sound like a securities to me. And, you know, you got a lot of people sitting in the enforcement decision, like what, 4,000 people, uh, maybe not quite 4,000, uh, but that's the largest division of the SEC. And they're looking for something to do and something to hang their hat on. That's how it works inside the beltway. So yes, there is some risk there. And, and, and I can keep going and going and going. So, you know, I'll stop myself. Somebody asked a question about sophistication. Yeah, I was gonna say we have some questions coming in. Yep. Do you want to save those to the end, or how do you want to handle those, Dar? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would a sophistication qualification look like in your mind? Oh, yeah. So, I think it should be a a, a simple, straightforward test. We're not talking about a Series Seven. We're mm -hmm. not talking about being a a financial advisor. Um, but I think people who participate in private securities need to understand that, hey, you could lose everything, right? And there's a heightened degree of risk. It all comes down to, to comprehension of risk and also the terms of an offering. And even in regulated markets, more specifically Reg A plus and Reg CF, you see terms that may not be so great for the investor. Now, that's okay if they understand what those terms are, right? but they need to understand that going in. So what I would like to see personally is a sophistication qualification where if, if you're, if, if you have a, a degree that's applicable, you're, you're in, um, otherwise you've got to take some sort of test that's administrated by the angel investors group or, or somebody like this that has a vested interest in, in, in encouraging this marketplace. We understand that, Hey, you're going to lose all your money. You may lose all your money in the UK. Before you invest, you go to, to the platform, you look at the offering, securities offering for, for their online capital formation, securities crowdfunding platforms, and you, you have to checkbox. You realize that you could lose all your money. Yes. You realize there's a good chance you're going to lose all your money. Yeah. You know, because, you know, there's fraud and there's risk of failure. Right. Two very different things. Great point. Nobody wants fraud. Right. But failure in early stage companies. It happens, you know, over half of early stage companies are going to fail. That's okay. That's a market economy. That's how capitalism works. We need to love it and embrace it because it all comes down to innovation. You know, it's interesting because, and I'm thinking about this as you're speaking, when I started off in the financial industry, like a million years ago, I was a kid, you know, I was young and I was trading options and I was, I mean, I had barely any money. I was, was certainly, you know, I had probably zero money saved. I mean, I was trading options. It was really like gambling. And all I had to do was sign a risk disclosure document yeah. that said that I understand the risks and I'm willing to lose all my money. And that was it. There was no, I didn't have to qualify, you know, based on my net worth or my salary or even knowledge for that matter. So why can't, you know, what, you know, options, if you look, if you think about it, are probably even more risky than, than, uh, you know, than uh, tokens and cryptocurrencies in some ways. So why can't. Totally spot on. Right? I also just think there's an easy solution here too, which is you look at Reg CF and, and with Reg CF, they, they have imposed limits on how much you can invest any year in those deals for retail investors specifically. I don't see why now those are self-reporting. So, you know, I'm sure that, that if you did said that you hadn't done one before, nobody would complain, which is 
part of kind of the, the difficulty there. And I think that you, you both brought up great examples, but like in Andrew's example, coming up with a new test and a new governing body to sort this out, I find it hard to believe that that's going to happen just because it's just, it's just unrealistic because there's just, it's, it's, it's to set up another bureaucratic body to then govern accreditation, I think is difficult. You could at least start with any level of graduate degree or potentially even any level of, of university degree being a, a level of sophistication that might make sense. Or as I'm thinking about here on the fly is potentially just limit how much a retail investor is able to participate or a certain individual is able to participate, right? So it's like, yeah, you could lose all your money. You have to tolerate risk. But then they also they say, look, based off of the income levels you make, potentially there's some amount that you're, you're going to be prohibited from investing more than call it 10, 15% of your salary or as a graduating scale over time that at least would allow for initial investment until we can figure out and see how these things change. I think that one of the difficulties, again, with, with being the largest economy in the world is that swift change is difficult because you can't really get a litmus test for how it impacts the greater market, right? As a, I, I did a lot of economics in, in university and and you realize that these these small little tweaks can cause very cascading changes in the economy because of how quick things move. Look at how NFTs were pretty much pointless and nobody knew about them 18 months ago. And now it's an industry that's billions and billions and billions of dollars, right? And you, crypto is the kind of the exact same thing that, that potentially even just allowing some exposure and seeing how that impacts the greater market is an interesting first step that I would be, that I'd be fascinated to see how that impacts the, the greater capital markets and to see if some of the conclusions and assumptions we're making are true and vice versa, seeing how some of the concerns that regulators may have around giving exposure to individuals, how that you know, properly changes things. Because even in the example of gambling or or in the in the, the, the classic example of lottery, I think that both of those are, are ridiculous systems that, that really set the, the average person up to fail. But at least there is regulation around how the bodies that are gambling institutions, casinos, or in the case of a lottery, there are a lot of laws around how that money can be used and deployed and there are licenses and things required that in in the event of a private company, as a founder, if you're raising money, you do have a fiduciary duty to your investors, but but that's a, a pretty broad duty in terms of you can spend that on a lot of different things while still being, you know, apply, you know, complying to the fiduciary duty. You can misappropriate those funds very quickly. So I think that there's definitely it's a it sometimes can be an incomplete comparison because you know if you want to have anybody be able to participate, there does need to be some accountability in how that 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 money gets spent, I think. That that and and adding more bureaucracy, adding more oversight. I'm also not sure if that's the right answer. So so potentially creaking the door open and then observing how that impacts the economy is is potentially another kind of option that's maybe in between the one that we have today versus the the kind of the guns blazing gung ho option that I think we all would love, but but it's unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. So so I you're right. I would never advocate creating a new bureaucracy. Anytime a politician says we need to create an eight new agency or a department, you said the angel like, does your network. Whoa. I was like, oh, I don't know about no, that. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> no. You saw that happened with the CFPB. So don't get me started on that. Uh, but but I do I do think that that we could have a simple test. And so I mentioned the the angel uh, angel investors association, which is an existing group that that it would be in their interest to to encourage participation that could be one if you look at uh reg d506c now which you you have to to be determined to be an accredited investor 
typically you use a verify and in, in, investor or you have these other processes to, is the to, other to, 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 you know, to, to be approved, but it also acts as, as pumping the brakes. I don't think we should need that. I really think we should simplify the process and, and, and go back to removing that additional bureaucracy as part of the process. In regards to the investor limits for, for CF and A+, plus, um, I mean, you're right. It, it, does, it does act as, a, as a, a break on investors. The challenge for platforms is, is they, they really don't have any way to verify this. So while the yeah. SEC says you do this, they have no idea who, you know, if you're on this platform or that platform, investing, going beyond your limits that you're supposed to do. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> one of these like, you know, pipe dream rules that, hey, if we say it, it will work. It doesn't happen. It's, it's you know, it, we get the government we elect and unfortunately that's what happens too often. But I, I do think that that making things simpler is not always the easy path, but it's the better path. And I think mm -hmm. any time we can do that to, to provide more access to investors and more opportunity for individuals, especially those that are excluded from this entire process right now, because right now we just give it to, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and they just say, rock on baby, right. because they've learned to jump ahead of the line, right? right? Even they have studied this and they showed how much money that they are making today versus, you know, back when Apple went, went public, right. you know, they're cutting ahead. And so everybody's figured that out. Every institution has figured it out. And they said, we want part of this too. But the people that get screwed are the little guy. And we Always. do that time and time and time again. It's got to stop. We've got to change. The, gov the, the government is not here to be, you know, your mom and dad. They're here to provide a certain amount of guardrails to say, make a good decision, right? But then you can go to Vegas and, and lose all your money. You know, right. there's a bit of irony there. Andrew for president. So, okay, a question just came in. I think this is interesting. We should talk about this because other countries in contrast to the U.S. And, and you know, if you look at, um, you know, are they learning from us the best practices or are they creating, you know, a global, are they creating their own global industry standards and look at what's happening in Singapore, Dubai, Australia, Asia, um, EU, they're, they're, um, you know, they're in the space too. And, you know, and, and I would actually say one, you know, not only if we look at what's happening overseas and with these other countries and they're, you know, are they looking to the U.S. for regulatory guidance or, um, you know, and looking now, I have a really interesting question for you guys. I don't know if this has ever really been asked before, but I think it's something that we really need to start pondering now. Every country is creating their own set of laws, right? You know, all of these different countries all over the world, the U.S., all these other countries. Now, what's going to happen? And this is this is where we're headed when people are banking and trading in the metaverse. Who is going to have jurisdiction over the metaverse? It's where okay, you this, is, this is a great question. Kyle, do you want to go first or you want me to go? You're, you can't, you're chopping at the bit. I want to keep hearing where you're going with it. Keep, keep going <laughs> with your, your I'll just get myself in trouble. So I happen to have a conversation today on this very topic with the Cambridge Center for uh, Alternative Finance and Cambridge University. And um, they're actually working on some of the stuff in the background right now. Uh, and I anticipate there'll be some announcements, you know, going forward here. But that's the, that's the challenge. 
You know, how, how, how do you regulate, regulate these things and get it to work globally? Right. It's, it's, it's really, really hard. And, and, and so that, that comes down to a section of fintech that would be regtech and how you, you manage these digital assets because they're kind of borderless or they're going in that direction. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, we, you know, we have to start talking about DeFi here and how you manage that. So if you look on down the road, that's a huge, huge problem. And, and, and you know, Dara, we, we can talk about that if you want, but if we back up to what the United States is doing and whether other people are looking at us or, or not, yes, they are looking at us, but they aren't necessarily copying us. Um, and I, I think, you know, some have taken actions that, that we haven't done here, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily worked out well there. If you look at the European Union, they uh, just last year, November, they enacted harmonized uh, crowdfunding rules for the EU member states where an issuer can raise up to 5 million euros across all member states. Um, and, and nobody's done it yet because there's some details there, this nuance there, right? It, it's hard. Um, it doesn't apply to digital assets because they're like, okay, this is complicated, uh, but they have another set of rules coming on down the pipe right now. You don't know when that's going to exactly happen. France did their own legislation, um, but, but you know, for better or for worse, it really hasn't generated much of a, much of a market. Yeah, um, I think they're absolutely looking to model it off of the U.S. capital markets. And maybe this is where Andrew and I slightly disagree. You look at any of the investment banks anywhere around the world that are piloting CBDCs or piloting tokenized bonds or doing any of this at any institutional level and look at all the players that are involved, Morgan Stanley, UBS, all of these large investment banks that deal with structuring here in the States. You obviously you've got MUFG, you've got the, you know, the Switzerland banks, you've got a lot of these international banks, but, but they all follow the regulations that have been set forth here in the United States because of how well they've worked. You look at tokenized assets that have been that have been created today, trading on the secondary market. You've got 170 U.S. real estate properties that are tokenized, where international investors are buying. They are almost exclusively international investors that are purchasing U.S. real estate because they want U.S. assets. They want access to the U.S. capital market. They don't care about innovation of their own securities laws. They want access to the U.S capital markets because of how large and robust it is and how consistent it's been over the last you know, century. Now, whether that's the right option or not, that's maybe where, where we can talk about what you know, potential developments or solutions or where this might go in 50 years. But I would say in the next five to 10, it's still unequivocal to me that there, most countries are looking to leverage blockchain technology to programmatically enforce compliance in a way they've never been able to before. It's right. a way that they can accept new investment as well as allow investment into other jurisdictions. Interjurisdictional transfer and transactions are something that's never before been afforded to small economies. It's never before been afforded to small and independent developing nations. And so the opportunity to be considered in the conversation of some of the largest Western economies is something that I think most, if not all of them, should be targeting and focusing on in the short term. It's not about innovating or pioneering past the U.S. because you're not going to. If you do that, you're not going to get the support of the U.S. because you're going to be seen as risky or non-compliant. And again, 
the access to capital right now is still, in my opinion, the biggest interest and concern for these nations. It's not necessarily about equitable financial economies. It's about access to capital. Yeah, no. So I agree with you that it's the, the, the markets in the U.S. are larger than anywhere, and everybody wants access to that. And rule of law, it, it, rule of law and the size of the markets, it's, it's the ace in the hole for the United States. You can't top it anywhere. You know, the U.K. is great, but the markets are far smaller. And, and so that's, that's the ace in the hole. Now, are they going to copy us? Not necessarily. And you've already seen that happen in, a, in other countries, but they absolutely watch us. And I think in the long run, it converges because it has to, because the market will drive it has that. To. It's yeah. just and code is law. Code is the new law, right? You yeah. said rule is law. But well, you can't tell you can't law. tell that to a regulator because it terrifies them. They don't they don't like it because it's disintermediation of regulatory actions. I mean, exactly. Which is why it converges to the U.S. markets. Well, that, that's an, an interesting question, too. So do markets become, you know, right now we're, we're sort of in this in this place where there's a battle between decentralized finance and centralized finance. That's really kind of what this is. And do ultimately like do, do, does even, you know, DeFi in general, does that you know, become a more regulated and become more centralized? You know, do they meet somewhere in the middle? Does one win out? Does DeFi win? Does CeFi win? Or do they meet somewhere in the middle? Do we have regulations and more compliance going to the DeFi market? Is it even possible to do something like that? Uh, or do even the traditional markets as we know them today become more and more decentralized? Curious to hear your thoughts there. Wow, that's a that's a really interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go ahead, Kyle? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I there's likely going to be a power grab where centralization continues to be something that these nations need to hold on to. And I think that you know, going back to your question around metaverse taxes or or, or things like that, I mean, I, I don't see in the I don't see in the in the near to medium term that the gross GDP of the metaverse is going to exceed any of the large nations. Potentially, yeah. you know, potentially there, there is an example in which it, it exceeds some of the some of the mid nations. But in terms of U.S. or China or, or India's GDPs, I don't see the metaverse necessarily creating more value in the short term than those large nations, which means that that they're still going to have to bring that value out of the metaverse and back into centralized systems. And so in the same way, when we're talking about economics, like there's always going to be these toll booths on the highways that even though the blockchain and, and all the metaverse stuff really is, is much more efficient and a much better system, you still got to get that money out into fiat if you want to spend anything here. Or even if you want to spend your USDC to pay for your stuff here, you're still going to be transacting inside of a local jurisdiction. And so I, I still think that there's that the decentralized movement is awesome, but there are real like we like at some point we all need to eat. We all need shelter and we all need physical, tangible goods that exist in the real world. And those things will continue to exist and be governed by centralized regulation. Potentially moving forward, there's some level of decentralization that comes with it. But one of the biggest benefits of the U.S. government system is that it doesn't change very quickly. We're still using securities laws from 1933 and 34. So like to act like like the metaverse is going to cause regulation to change at a pace so quickly that in the next 10 to 15 years, we're just going to have a radical shift in the way that the economics are created, taxed, handled and and, and 
you know, used in, in this economy, I, I think is, is probably far-fetched. So, so, you know, DeFi versus CeFi, I mean, Dara, I mean, that's the question because it terrifies regulators. They right. tell them that, that, hey, there's no more intermediary. And they're like, what? What are you talking <laughs> They want somebody they can point a finger at or they can gun for when something has gone wrong. And you say, well, that, that, that doesn't exist anymore. It's a terrifying concept for them. And, and it's and terrifying that, in general, not even for regulators. I feel like yeah. that's a terrifying concept. No accountability. Like, I don't think that's what we want in our financial system. And, and for legislators too, they're like, you know, how, how do we, how do we manage this? So, so I think there's, there's, you know, kind of several, you know, schools of thought there. One where, you know, C5, you kind of, there's a merging in the middle. Um, and, and then there's also kind of the thought, well, you know, you, you have a foundation and you have a protocol. You know, one can't really exist without the other. There's some sort of, you know, commercial relationship here because otherwise, why are you doing that? So is it really DeFi? I don't know. So so there's a lot of like, you know, cool concepts that we're kind of working through right now. Um at the same time, I think in the long run, it comes down to reg tech. And I think we're inching there now, as you see regulators around the world, they, they, they hire Chainalysis, they hire you know, uh, Ellipsis and these firms because they're like, we don't know what's going on. How do we figure out how this is going on? We got to run over there and pay these people a lot of money to figure this out for us because they have to. It's supply and demand, baby. You know, you, you you have this going on. They don't know what's going on. They have to find out what's going on quickly. I think that's kind of like foreshadowing what's to become where you have reg tech that will eventually, at some point in the future, step in to, to manage that relationship where the regulators can see what's going on. And they're like, okay, you know, you're cool, but wait a minute, something's going on there. You need to fix this without having to, you know, send an email, make a phone call. It's going to evolve over time. It's just we're at the very beginning of all this. And like digital securities, it's inevitable. So Kyle, you're at the bleeding edge here, man, because you are, you are the future, right? But how regulators with their so-called, you know, limited budgets and not enough manpower and all that, how are they going to manage this? It's going to come down to technology. Yeah. It has to. So I think we're at that that uh, nine o'clock mark. So uh, we'll wrap it up and and just let's let let everyone know where they could reach us and contact us. You want to go first, Kyle? Yeah, I want to give a special shout out to Draper Gore and Home for putting on a, an awesome show tonight. Thank you uh, to the whole team over there for for hosting all of us, Alon and. And Joseph are, are tremendous, and I know the rest of your team is, is is fantastic too. And they are hosting an event in May, so we'll be there. I certainly will, and hopefully you will be there as well in New York City. You can find me in Miami, as well as you can find me at, at STO Market on Twitter as the company, and at Kyle Sons, my name. And uh, you know, let's talk security tokens. Watch our show on YouTube. We talk all about this kind of stuff, and I love these conversations. So Andrew and and. And Dara, it's, it's been great to meet you both. And, and I hope that we can, can talk soon. I'm going to echo Definitely. everything you said, Kyle. You know, uh, thank you, Draper Gornholm, for putting this together. Thank you, Kyle. Awesome, your perspective. Dara, you, you're amazing. You're awesome. 
Um, hopefully I'll see both of you in New York for the Security Token Summit. Uh, come visit crowdfundinsider.com. Hey, if there's anybody who's following this that has a question or you want to tell me that I'm absolutely bonkers, <laughs> please you know, tweet me at-, at Or that you're voting for him for president. It's Andrew on TIX and say, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. Engage with me. You know, hey, I, I don't know everything. Sometimes I act like I do, but I don't. Uh, but thank you for listening to us. Cheers. Yeah, and, and cheers. Thank you, Draper, going home. You guys are awesome. You always put on the greatest shows. And I'm looking forward to seeing all of you guys in New York. It will be my first trip since since COVID. So I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I will probably be there with my podcast too, the D Wealth Muse podcast. So maybe we'll oh. even get you guys. We'll do some uh, live recordings at the event. So no, really fun. looking forward to it. Thank y'all.